Welcome to Grace on Tap. This is a podcast dedicated to the topics of the Lutheran Reformation, the history, the documents, the people, and all of those events that are surrounding the Lutheran Reformation. Currently, we're doing a series through the Large Catechism and the Commandments. I'm Evan Gertner. And I'm Mike Hagley. Welcome to Grace on Tap. So this episode is going to be the first of two. We're going to be doing a couple on the Eighth Commandment which is, Thou shalt not bear false witness against thy neighbor. Um, I honestly, when, when I was started looking at this one, I was expecting it to be one of the quicker ones. And, uh, but there was, there's more here than, than I was anticipating. Today, our topic will largely focus on the judicial character of this commandment and, and what causes people to break this commandment, what is our encouragement to keep it, and, and then future episodes, we'll look a little bit more about how this commandment is used at, in the home and in our gossip and our, our desire to speak well of others, but also in the church and how the Eighth Commandment um, sometimes is uh, this uh, topic that gets to be used and abused in how we describe other people. But sometimes people talk about a public act, then I can publicly speak against it. And essentially, people just chuck the Eighth Commandment out when they want to for convenience sake, say something bad about people. One of the things that is, inter- another reason this is going to be a little bit longer uh, on this one, are the translation problems we ran into as we were looking through the, the, the public domain version versus the more modern versions of the translation of the, of the catechism. And so we'll be, as we, I'll be, you know, because we're trying to use the public domain version uh, there were there are a couple of areas where at least I stumbled. I was having trouble understanding what the heck is Luther getting at here. And it starts just right at the beginning. The very first word says over and above. And so we're going to read this first paragraph over and above our own body, spouse and temporal possessions. We have yet another treasure, namely honor and good report. The illustrious testimony of an upright and unsullied name and reputation with which we cannot dispense. So that is, a, you know, we usually try and uh, get you where we're at in case you're following along. Uh, we're at, that's paragraph 254 in the large catechism. But that over and above was really, I was like, what? It gives a sense of hierarchy to the commandments. Exactly. And, you know, so over and above. So more important than is the way I interpreted that. More important than... Then body, spouse, and temporal possessions, we have another treasure, namely honor and good report. That was my translation. The way I, when I read over and above, that's what I was thinking. And I was really confused by that. So yeah, so this public domain translation that we have, uh, it's kind of, has the vows and all that kind of stuff that from the early 20th century, late 19th century, the Bente edition, um, has that phrase over and above. Now, Kobe Wengert, which is kind of the current academic English translation for the Book of Concord, uses the word besides. Which makes more sense. So but, rather than a hierarchy, the word besides, what does that change for you? Uh, in addition to is sort of the way I take that. So in addition to our own body, spouse, and temporal possessions, we have yet another treasure, namely honor and good report. Now, that, that because I... Don't well. I might have a copy of Cold, uh, but let's just run with a while. So you did this. You looked at what if it is an over and above, exactly, and a sense of like there's something of great value to good reputation that at times could cause a challenge for how we keep the commandment. And you were drawn to look at the treatise on good works. Yeah. So the yeah, that's exactly. So you know, the first thing I did was I went and looked at the, the Luther's treatise on good works. 
uh, to see if I could get any idea there of where Luther was going. And um, where I, what I found there is something where he says, This commandment seems small and yet is so great that he who would rightly keep it must risk and imperil life and limb, goods and honor, friends and all that he has. And so even when you're trying to do the right thing, when the opponent is an, a prominent man, uh, he, br- he brings up the point that people don't want uh, to have that person, you know, angry at them. And so, you know, they'll, they'll, they become, and Luther says, uh, they begin the flattering and fawning, or on the other hand, the withholding of the truth. And so Luther fin- finishes up with this, uh, here, no one is willing to risk the disfavor and displeasure, loss and danger forsakes truth. And so God's commandment must perish. And so I was thinking, you know, because looking at these two, both the, the treatise on good works, along with the large catechism with this over and above thing, it sounds like what Luther was trying to get at, at least what I thought maybe, was that, you know, when, when, if you're willing to speak the truth, you put everything at risk. You, put, you, you can put your spouse at risk. You can put your children at risk. You can put everything, all your temporal possessions, your own body at risk. So the temptation to flatter with dishonesty, to say what I think the other person wants me to say, even if it's not the truth, because I want to curry the good favor of this person. The reason I would want to flatter them and curry their good favor is because it would benefit me, it would benefit my property, or it could benefit my family. And so the courage to speak the truth will come with the recognition that it may cost me my property. It may cost me even my family. Yes. And, and I think that's, you know, and, and we do, I personally believe, and this is my, you know, I personally believe that, that that is still possible today, that there are situations that people find themselves in. And I can't, I'm, I, I don't want to really go into any. But the situational of, ethic of like, I have to lie in order to protect. And we place ourselves in the most immediate moment and say, Regardless of the consequences or whatever else, right now, this seems like the right thing to do. I have to lie. And Luther's kind of pointing out that that's a a very short-sighted view of how God could be at work in the moment. Well, I think what Luther is trying to say here is, you know, it's one thing, we'll go to the most extreme example, which is, you know, Nazi Germany and protecting, you know, harboring Jews and and lying. Say, oh, no, there's nobody here, you know, that kind of thing. Mm -hmm. And, um, and so that is protecting our neighbor. That's loving our neighbor. That is, you know, which is what God wants, right? And so there are times, but when, when we, and Luther specifically talks about the temptation to lie, when, when what we're really worried about is our own reputation, what we're really worried about is our own, we, to, to hide something we did or to, or to protect a wealthy person or to so protect, protect our reputation or protect a wealthy person or a prominent person or a powerful person, you know, where, where there, there are different reasons. It's one thing to, to, uh, um, to lie, to protect somebody who is like the Jews in World War II in Nazi Germany, to protect the minority, to protect the voiceless, to protect the forgotten, that are powerless in a moment, I, I may need to find a way to protect them. Right. But if my violation of the commandment is for the purposes of 
protecting myself. Or or protecting a wealthy or prominent Someone person. who has power. Right. So it's kind of a, a dynamic of power that puts us into a situation where am I humbly serving another person through how I keep or exercise this commandment? Or am I pridefully trying to preserve and protect somebody who's already in power like myself or somebody else? Right. And, and basically what I'm, what I'm trying to dance, th- at least myself, you know, I'm trying to dance through this minefield of situational ethics. Mm-hmm. Right. And, and for those of you who aren't familiar with the term situational ethics, it's basically, yeah, you know, there's no right and wrong. You just have to base it. The, and I'm going to, I'm sure if right. somebody, base it on what is the situation. And... Yeah. Rather than saying there's one moral imperative that's true in all moments, in all places, in all contexts, there is instead always the understanding of how does this affect the people I'm in relationship with. Right. Right. Now, the slippery slope of situational ethics and the danger of it is we can always find a way to justify our sinful behavior. Yes. Yes. And and that's this is this is why it's it, you know this particular law the you know the. Thou shalt not bear false witness against thy neighbor, at least for myself. And I, you know, I, I try to look at it in terms of that power dynamic. Mm-hmm. And, and even there, uh, that bouncing that power dynamic, first of all, start with the truth. What is the truth? And then you look at the power dynamic and then you ask, okay, am I afraid to tell the truth because... I am I'm afraid uh, I, I'm protecting myself from some power. So Luther gives us a lens for this moment of what it, what is causing me to keep or not keep this commandment. And he says his struggle in his time period, he says, is here no one is willing to run the risk of disfavor and displeasure, loss and danger for the truth's sake. And so God's commandment is perishing. Right. And so... Am I afraid of disfavor? Am I afraid of someone looking bad at me? Am I afraid of a moment of pleasure being stolen away from me because of how things are suddenly about to get more complicated because I have to tell the truth on something? And so I think Luther's looking at this question of favor and pleasure. Am I manipulating a moment and I am, am I forsaking God's commandment because I want to keep the favor of somebody or I want to keep a pleasurable moment going for as long as I can? If if that is why you have forsaken God's commandment, then you have placed yourself in a position as more important than God's commandment. So to take that 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 rubric, you know, to take that that way of that looking at it through that lens, a favor and pleasure, favor and pleasure, uh, you know, and uh, um, and and looking at the the situation of the people protecting the Jews in World War II, which, uh, you know, everybody is familiar with. Mm-hmm. You know, what they were doing, those people were lying to extend their, their period of displeasure, their period of, of struggle and, and stress and difficulty. They were actually lying in, in a way that, that put themselves at greater and greater and greater risk. And, and they weren't trying to keep their own favor they're trying to protect the 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 lives of the lives of people um this kind of struggle is hypothetical for us right now um but when god's commandments are thrown away or uh times become difficult and there's trials and temptations we're gonna at some point have to figure out what am i gonna stand on what am i gonna speak about and what cost am I willing to bear on this? You know, and I, I think it's, you know, for, for us, 
you know, and, and our friends and the people that, that we associate with, yeah, this is, this is primarily academic. This mm-hmm. is, this isn't, I, I don't, I don't anticipate, but there are, I believe people in this country that this is very real today. You know, where, mm-hmm. where what they're dealing with is, you know, where the, I'll just say the societal forces are, are aligned against them. And, and those people go into a situation um, where, you know, where they're surrounded by, you know, you know if, 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 if you live in that, that situation where in a group of people that are, are um, outcast by society, yeah. we'll say, um, if you live within a group of outcasts and there's, a, uh, there's a, a, an attempt to go after one of the people within this group of outcasts, you may find yourself in a, in a situation where you, this is very real for you. So imagine a circle of people, a circle of friends, and someone is being accused of something. Right. And, and that's going to push them away from this group of people. Right. And you know the truth. And you know, but if you speak the truth, you're also out. Right. Right. So it, your favor in that group is at stake. So do you speak the truth so you can stay with that group? I mean, do you speak a lie or whatever? Yeah, do, do, whatever the situation is. Do you is. bear false witness? Do you bear false witness uh, in order to maintain your social standing? And actually, this is something that we deal yeah. with. So Timothy Keller, in a book on In the Age of Reason, uh, How to Have Belief in This Time of Skepticism, talks about three things he sees uh, people struggling with to believe. And he describes one as just kind of the, the mental, the, the academic kind of things. Uh, he describes another one as a question around mysticism and how, how much are we ready to look at things that are supernatural versus things are natural in this world. And are we ready to look at a world that's bigger than just what we can observe and see? Uh, but then he says that increasingly uh, in this age, uh, people are ready for the mystic question. They're, they're, they're ready to believe in the supernatural. People believe in aliens. People believe in all right. sorts of stuff. Right. That's not really a thing that's holding people back from faith. Um, nor is it uh, just a knowledge thing or a history thing. He said uh, in this book that uh, in this age we are in, the biggest thing that's holding people back to making that leap of faith and trusting that God is true is social. Really? And that social experience of wanting to belong. And we feel like if we speak up about our faith, uh, we will find ourselves outcast. We'll find ourselves um, no longer in a group of people that we were before. Mm. And so it's hard to be public with our witness. And I wonder if we think about this Eighth Commandment and bearing witness to what God has done for us, or bearing false witness, or muted response, or to try to just... uh, make something private about our faith instead of public. These are all kind of playing in this question of, are we prepared for the disfavor and displeasure that may come for speaking the truth? One of the things that is, uh, uh, you know, as I go through these 10 commandments or as we're going through these 10 commandments, one of the questions that always comes up in my head is, you know, well, what, what does right behavior what does what does following this commandment look like and what role does faith play in that you know and and you know because Christ everything comes back to our faith you know and if we 
if we don't believe in God, you know, how are we how are we saying that we don't have confidence in God when we break this commandment? Yeah. So if I break the commandment, because I think for this particular moment in this situation, I need to do that. I'm essentially saying, I don't trust God to find a way to make it work. Right. And so faith and keeping the commandments is if I keep this commandment, it will cost me something right now, but I trust God in the end will keep me in his kingdom. Yes. Yeah. And but situationally, I may look at right now and say, I need to break this commandment. I, I need to uh, lie and deceive uh, somebody else because of what it will benefit me. Because I don't think God could benefit me better than the way I have figured it out. And that that gets back to our discussion on situational ethics. That mm-hmm. that you know, find yourself in a moment, and situational eth- ethics give you the freedom to do whatever you want and rationalize it. And, and that's not what we're saying. There are times, there, is, there are times when, when our faith will cause us to, 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 to bear faith, false witness, but it will not be against thy neighbor. It will be for thy neighbor, which is, you know, that, that's, you know, this is, you know, when, when we bear false witness for our neighbor, in this specific, like with the Nazis, I keep yeah. going back to that. We are, we are, you know, we are not breaking this commandment. You know, we are protecting the the weak and and poor amongst us who are unjust unjustly being attacked. And there's a there's a lot there, but you know, but to the the law still stands. So when I break the commandment, or how about this? When I want to protect my neighbor who is being unjustly attacked unjustly attacked, then I have to find a way to protect my neighbor. Right. And that may get complicated. That may get complicated. Well, that does sound complicated. So this is a great time to have a beer break. Uh, Why don't you tell them about this beer from Commerce Township, Michigan that we're featuring today. So this one is called uh, Center Stage Amber Ale. It's uh, from Kickstand Brewing Company there, like you said, in Commerce, Michigan. Not very far from us. We, no, we, this but is, we haven't been there before. This uh, is bike riding distance. You might not bike ride back. but it's, it's, Safe <laughs> roads would be a challenge. That's there. true. That's but true. Uh, he talks about bike riding because Kickstand Brewery is coming from this idea of arriving at some place and putting your kickstand down and staying for a while. And when it's time to continue your journey again, you put the kickstand up and you get back on your bike and you go. And so when you're at Kickstand Brewery, you're saying it's a place to put my kickstand down and stay a while. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, so the metaphor of being someplace and putting the kickstand down. I like that metaphor. I actually like the name. They, they, get, I, they get a lot of questions. They say, you know, what, where did the kickstand brewing company name come from? And they, they on the pod, on the website, they, they have all these, well, it could be possible this. Stories. Possible stories. It could be this or it could be that. It's like, but no, 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 it's none of that. It's something simpler like what Evan just referenced there. So kickstand brewing, it's a, it's a, it also has a little restaurant there. Um, and so it's a, it's both a brewery and a restaurant, so you can stop in and get in some some eats. Yeah. So um, this uh, amber ale, it's it's sweet and smooth. Um, it's a, a delicious beer. It's it's got a dry finish. A dry yeah. finish. It's got a little bit of a taste of a red, um, uh, like a, a I don't know how to describe it. Something. It's almost like a yeah. It's almost like a red ale, but yeah. uh, amber ale is a little. Uh, it, it's like I said. It's it's a medium bodied. Um, I think you'd call it a lacy head. You know, it's it's leaving a lot of sugars on the glass. Yeah, there we go. And so it's 
Uh, but very nice, very nice beer. I'm really enjoying the. Uh, I always enjoy beer. So five point two percent alcohol by volume. Uh, a good kind of just middle of the road, strong beer. It's it's one of those beers you can. Uh, it, it, I could find it in my go-to list of beers. You know, there's a there's a handful of beers that when I when, when I just want a, a nice, easy to drink beer that that is you know I, not going to be a huge challenge. Um, this is the kind of beer I go to. Yes, nice simple beer from uh, Kickstand Brewery Center Stage Amber Ale. It's a beer when you want to be up at the microphone and sing your karaoke. This one could be in your other hand. <laughs> yeah, have a few of these. A few of these in the other hand. A few of these and then uh, let's get the karaoke card. <laughs> well, talking about now, uh, back to the Eighth Commandment. We spent a lot of time in the first half of this episode just looking at the occasion of the Eighth Commandment and how easy it could be to slide into justifying uh, lying and deceiving someone else because we think we're going to protect something. But we need to be ready to bear the cost of the disfavor and displeasure of someone else to speak for the truth. So Luther next goes into, he takes the, this particular commandment and he, he breaks it down. He says, hey, listen, you know, this isn't just, there, there are three realms, and I think, Evan, you referenced this a little earlier. Mm-hmm. Uh, there are three realms that he's going to tackle. The first one is the legal environment. Second kind one. Have the most simple reading of the that's commandment. That's the most simple reading of the commandment, which has its own, it's a simple reading, but it has its own complexity. Uh, and then there's the spiritual realm. And then there's what he calls the common domain. Oh, I, I actually called it the common domain in my notes here. Yeah. But that's sort of the... So he spends a little bit of time. And a lot of what we've already talked about is where he goes first, where he, he's talking about the legal sphere. And he's concerned about a poor, innocent man uh, uh, who is not... Uh, he want, uh, Luther is primarily concerned that a poor, innocent man is not accused and oppressed by false witnesses. And what was what's strange about this, and again, this is a translation thing. But he talks about in a time period of excellent and regular government, uh, this may, in fact, be a challenge. Right. But at his time, he goes, this isn't a risk to us at present. And I was when I read that, it's like, what you... you what does that mean? What what does it mean to that? Are you saying you don't have an excellent and regular government, Mr. Luther? Yeah. Is that Dr. Luther? Is that what you're trying to tell me? I I, I didn't quite. It understand. was a strange section where he kind of throws his own government under the bus, and he describes how that this commandment is something in his own time period, uh, something they're not nearly as worried about because in other periods when there was an excellent government and you wanted to always have that judge in power to look kindly on you, you might speak falsehood. But in our own time period, we can be bold to speak the truth because we don't like the people who are in power. Isn't that strange? Yes. That was... I was. It took me a while. I read through that. And it's like, what the heck? Are so, you if the about? judge is your friend, and you want to say something that you think your friend wants to hear, you're more likely to break the commandment when the judge or the person in power is someone whom you want to look kindly on you. But he says, in our time period, when we really don't think too highly of the people who are in power, we're more boldly to speak the truth because there's nothing that's they could. Gonna, we have enough support to 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 protect us. Yeah, the, the everybody hates the people in power. <laughs> oh, this is almost it's almost yes. like he's saying everybody hates the people in power, so everybody gets to just call them 
Call, s- speak the truth because there's nothing going to be lost because you're already lost anyways. Yeah. <laughs> so he did live in a particularly strange period. Uh, this this Reformation starting with 1517. Yeah. Going, this is roughly about 1528, 1530 time frame. Um, and so things had gone off the rails. So and, then he talks about how a poor man and his cause is being oppressed, denounced as wrong and suffering punishment. It is a common calamity in our world in courts of justice where godly men seldom preside. And I think at this point, he kind of almost flips his argument and says it's now time to boldly speak the truth because he's tired of the innocent being accused. He's tired of the oppressed being pushed down. And he said, come what may, let's speak the truth and stand up for those who are being uh, falsely accused. And so... You know, the and next, then he talks a little bit about the judges. Which I was going to say, he's yeah, getting, that's where you're going next. I was going to go into the judges, and he does. Then we have this other word that we're kind of confused on. Uh, yes, yes. So we're, we're we're lingering right now around paragraph two fifty nine, somewhere in that neighborhood, and he's he's talking about how important it is for for the judge to be a good man, a godly man. There's different terms that he mm-hmm. uses. Um, and he says, uh, he says, and not only a godly man, but a wise, modest, yea, a brave and hold man. And I, I'm, I, I had to, in my notes here, I, made, I, I wrote some notes and I, I actually emailed Evan. said, Evan, help me out here. I have no idea what a hold man is. And I don't you know, uh, what, what is he talking about? And, and so there are, there's more scholarly or more recent scholarly uh, translation available. Right. And so instead of a hold man, it says a fearless man. And what is the relationship between someone described as a hold man and a fearless man is to look at someone who would stand in the gap and hold the line. Mm. So if you have a, a line of defenders and you need someone to hold their spot, he's the hold man. Okay. And he has to be fearless. And so in that in that line of defense between truth and falsehood, when it would seem easier to just fall away into falsehood, you need someone that can hold the line, be fearless, and stand for truth. Specifically, a judge. Yeah. Uh, the judges need to be fearless because they will find themselves on, if they stand for truth, they will find themselves on the wrong side of somebody. So we expect our judges to not be bribed or to be manipulated um, or somehow to fall uh, in that line where truth must stand. We need a judge, Luther is saying, who will be a hold man. Right. So the, the more modern translation, and I'm going to go through, uh, so he also not only a godly, and I think they used a different term instead of godly too, um, but a wise, uh, perceptive Yea, a brave and fearless man. Mm-hmm. So it's... A person of integrity is the phrase. Okay. Instead of godly, it said integrity. That, okay, that's what it was. So, so you have a, a, a godly, wise, modest, yea, brave and hold man. And the line in the Kolb Wengert edition is, um, a judge above all must be a person of integrity, not only that, but also wise and perceptive. In fact, a bold and fearless man. Right. Instead of brave, it even had the word bold. Yeah, yeah. I'm not sure why those distinctions of words are there. But as we think about godly, uh, 
it is almost helpful to use the word integrity instead, because uh, I think in our time period, godly is a mysterious word to people. They may think of someone who is holy or someone who's a monk or some sort of a meditation, but godly here to say integrity yeah. is someone who um, counts for something. So, and that's, I, I like the terminology integrity also. Uh, so then Luther really brings, uh, makes it tough on the judges and he, he says, for a person who is to judge all matters rightly and carry them through with his decision will often offend good friends, relatives, neighbors, and the rich and powerful who can greatly uh, serve or injure him. And that's, you know, Luther's exactly right. You know, people who are in positions of authority, especially in positions of judgment, and you don't have to be a judge. But someone who's in a position to stand for the truth or let something walk by. Right. They're going to find themselves in positions where, where it's very difficult to stand for what's right. And it's, you know, he, he, I think this is something we see even today. So when a judge, say in the U.S. Senate's about to be confirmed, a federal judge, they'll look in to see what kind of corporate interest or influence could be used to manipulate that judge in decisions. Or they'll look to see how is this judge in, in decisions that she has made uh, demonstrated the ability to stand against power. And we still today, when we uh, look for a judge, we're looking for someone who has that integrity to stand in the gap of, of lies and falsehood, uh, power and influence, and say, we're going to stand for the truth. So there's a, there's a saying, justice is blind. And I, I sometimes wonder, you know, Luther wrote in, 15, in the early 1500s. Well, I think even before Luther, though, there, there was the image of justice blindfolded with the scales. Oh, was that, was that actually yeah, I think even Luther? Yeah, that's something we could look up and we'll get ready for the next episode to kind of look at the history of justice as blind. But he does use the phrase. Yeah, and he says, therefore, he must be quite blind, have his eyes and ears clothed, neither to see nor hear, but go straight forward in everything that comes before him and decide accordingly. So to have a judge's eyes closed, I understand that. That I don't want to be influenced by the dress or the appearance of someone, but to have the ears closed. That surprised me. And I was thinking about what does it mean to have my ears closed is those who want to whisper in me and uh, try to uh, create influence among me. So if you have a judge who's trying to decide a case, I want his eyes closed. I I don't want him to choose who's right or wrong by how they're dressed. But to have the ears closed, the judge also should not be influenced by those that have the ability to whisper in his ears. And and, uh, I always think uh, much of, of, in Lord of the Rings, of Wormtongue, and how uh, he had that ability to influence the king um, and, and... poison his eyes and ears from what he saw. So Luther says that the judge should have their eyes closed and their ears closed so that they can go straight ahead and and decide what must be done. And really, I guess the the ears closed to that which is not true. Mm -hmm. Ears closed to those those winds of of favor and disfavor that he finds himself in. And anybody who's in a position of of, uh, judgment is going to find themselves. And this this could be in business. It could be in the church. It could be in any realm. It doesn't, not just the legal realm, but we all find ourselves in situations. And Luther's specifically talking about the legal realm here, but we all find ourselves in situations uh, of where it's easy 
to to bend one way or the other when we find ourselves in positions of judgment. To uh, finish up, Luther makes a similar point to the one he made at the beginning when he said that the commandment is to protect our neighbor. He says, therefore, this commandment is given, first of all, that everyone shall help his neighbor to secure his rights and not allow them to be hindered or twisted, but shall promote and strictly maintain them, no matter whether he be judge or witness, and let it pertain to whatsoever it will. So after Luther's treatment of the legal perspective on this commandment, he turns his attention uh, to the spiritual realm. And you know, he, he really does blow through this very quickly. Uh, there's only one paragraph, paragraph 262, and he says uh, just one thing there. Wherever there are godly preachers and Christians, they must bear the sentence before the world that they are called heretics apostates, yea, sedacious, and desperately wicked miscreants. And I, I know that's true in some parts of the world, uh, but I'm not sure that preachers here in the U.S. are really treated that badly. I, I just had read an article about a pastor uh, that resigned the call to ministry in a church in New York City uh, because uh, this pastor was trying to lead the congregation uh, back to some theological foundations. And in the resignation letter, the pastor explains that uh, she tried to bring, so it was a, an ELCA church, and she said she tried to bring a theological foundation to what the church was doing in the community, and she wasn't being well received, and she determined that she needed to resign her call because they weren't prepared to hear the truth of the theological foundations for why they should act. Really? Yeah. So that, that question of uh, what, what keeps uh, a pastor able to continue to speak the truth when maybe it comes at great cost of reputation is to know that if I'm uh, being called a heretic or an apostate, apostate is someone who's fallen away from standing on the truth or even seditious or... Uh, uh, a wicked miscreant. If I know that what I'm speaking is built and founded upon the truth of God's word, and prayerfully I'm speaking it with patience and tact, then come what may, I'll still speak it. Well, and that gets into what Luther says next here. Uh, he says, The word of God must suffer in the most shameful and malicious manner, being persecuted, blasphemed, contradicted, perverted, and falsely cited and interpreted. The word of God must suffer. Uh, that's an interesting one, is that essentially we need to be prepared uh, for being persecuted, blasphemed, or contradicted, or perverted. Uh, let the world say what they will about us. Don't compromise the truth. Let them continue to speak against the church. Um, the church will suffer. That reminds me, you know, to, uh, we're, we're coming into, this will be posting right around probably in Advent season. Yeah. And uh, we'll be dropping this around Advent season. But uh, in the, just before the last Sunday, before Advent begins, is, is Christ the King, mm -hmm. the, the Sunday of Christ the King. And the, the reading from that Sunday is a reading that talks about the crucifixion. And it talks about Christ the King who's being crucified. And uh, the, you know, the, 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 the crown the of The word form, of God's suffering. And right the there. word of God's suffering. And, and what, what happened to Christ on, that cro on the cross is, has continued through all time. That the, the word, uh, God, God's word must suffer. God's word will always be attacked in one way or another. And sometimes more uh, openly, sometimes in underhanded ways. 
but it is very, you know, God's God's word must suffer. And Luther's, you know, Luther's just saying what the biblical perspective So to avoid is. suffering, to avoid persecution, to avoid struggle, I should lie? No, not at all. <laughs> not at all. In fact, it's the opposite of that, right? That's right. It is to say that for the sake of God's word, I will suffer. And I shouldn't lie to escape suffering. That's right. And that, that's... So, you know, when, when thou shalt not bear false witness against thy neighbor, there is nothing worse against thy neighbor than to deny them the truth of Christ. There is nothing worse against thy neighbor than to deny them the gospel that, that is the, their salvation and their, their forgiveness of sin. So God's word is going to be mutilated in this world. I'm trying to speak to my neighbor. I'm trying to share with him God's word. And there's all sorts of forces working against that. And I could spend all my energy turning to those who are attacking God's word. But he says, let that happen. Let it's the, going to happen. It's going to happen. Don't let it bother you. Don't, don't go through a bunch of contortions to try to get people angry at you because you're just let this pass for it is the way of the blind world that she will condemn and persecute the truth and the church of God. Yet esteem it no sin. Don't use this as a chance to sin. So rather than wallow and and the way and complaining about the way God's uh, word is is treated, we're going to move on. We're going to follow Luther's Luther's lead and move on. And uh, he says, actually, he says, but let this pass, for it is the way of the blind world that she condemns and persecutes the truth and the children of God, and yet esteems it no sin. And I think that's we'll we'll leave it there. We'll leave it there. We'll come back to the longest section inside the Eighth Commandment, and that's how the Eighth Commandment functions in the common domain of our relationships with other people. We've spent considerable time talking about the legal context and even some of the spiritual context, and uh, we get kind of flustered as we try to figure out when can we contort ourselves to be able to break this commandment. And, and really it comes down well, what to... What does the, it mean to break the commandment? And when does it mean to keep the commandment? Yes. When it's not we, that I find ways to break it as much as... How do I keep it to protect my neighbor right. rather than work against my neighbor? Right, right. And so we've spent quite a bit of time on that. I think it's, uh, we'll, we'll wrap up and pick this up next time. Prost. Prost. Prost.